Hi guys, Nate here from CageCast. Just want to let you know that we started this podcast a long time ago with like cage love in our hearts, but not a lot of technical knowledge. Some of the audio and the editing might be a little rough in these first few episodes. So please enjoy them for what they are. And know that we get better with age. Like a fine cheese. Or wine. That is all. Thanks for your support. Bye. You know what I want, Henry? I want an eagle right here. A tattoo. Yeah. Just wait till those Japs see me and my eagle come charging over the hill. Just come charging over the hill. There's a war out there somewhere, Hop. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage and run. I'm gonna break. I'm gonna break my. Gonna break my rusty cage. Welcome to CageCast, the podcast that joyfully dissects the filmography of one of America's most unique and engaging leading men, Nicolas Cage. I'm Nate Porter, and with me is Britt Porter. Welcome. If this is your first time, welcome. Yes, welcome. And if it's your second time, it's our second time, too. So welcome back. Okay. Uh, As a reminder, here's how CageCast works. We'll be watching every Nicolas Cage film in order, according to the film's official release date. We will be reviewing every film in which Nicolas Cage either had a starring role or something we'll see in this week's movie, an integral supporting role. Right. So, the basic idea, again, is that we'll discuss the film and then afterward rate it from a zero to a four in three different categories. The film as entertainment, the film as art, and then in terms of Cage's actual performance. For example, last week we watched Valley Girl, which was uh, Nick Cage's first film, and we gave that a cumulative score of 14.5, which, since we've only watched one movie, it actually ranks it as the top Nicolas Cage film that we have tallied. We will hopefully, at the end, come up with a cumulative list of the best Nicolas Cage films from top to bottom. This week, we are reviewing Racing with the Moon. And the big question, of course, is, will Racing with the Moon top Valley Girl? That's hard to say. Yes, the tension is palpable. Yes. One thing we want to remind you of, listeners, we do not share our scores with each other before the show. You find out what we rank the films when we tell each other what we rank It's actually quite dramatic. Yes, everyone's at the edge of their seats wondering how we feel about Racing with the Moon. We'll also have our CageCast running totals to share with you. Yes, my favorite part of the show. So let's get right into this movie. Um, A few stats. The release date, March 23rd, 1984. This is Nick Cage's second major film role. The budget, I've seen different things, but I hear it was around $6 million, and the film actually only made $6 million in the theater. So while Valley Girl was a pretty big hit for Cage, this was not as much. But what it did do was garnered a lot more critical praise for both Nicolas Cage and the leading man in this movie, Sean Penn. Yes. So Sean Penn is his primary co-star in this film, and we'll talk about him in a little while. The only other notable co-star for this time was Elizabeth McGovern, and she went on to star with Kevin Bacon in She's Having a Baby, which I think many people She's are familiar with. Baby. Is that different? That is different. Okay, go ahead. That is different. I'll stop interrupting you. 
She also, Um, prior to joining the cast of Racing with the Moon, wrapped a movie called Once Upon a Time in America. It's a great movie. Have you seen that one? I haven't. It's like I need to catch a up on my hours long. I need to catch up good. on my Elizabeth McGovern All filmography. Right. Those are that's about it. You're about caught up. Oh, okay. So I'm I'm two for three now at yeah. this point. We had a couple other little notable cameos. Yes, yes, some surprise actors there. When we watched the uh, the credits roll there at the end, we were quite shocked to find out Crispin Glover has a quick cameo role in this film. So listeners, if you watch Racing with the Moon, see if you can't catch Crispin Glover's brief and shining moment in Racing with the Moon. And kind of a, I gotta say, kind of a chubby Crispin Glover, considering the next year was Back to the Future. Looks like he lost 40 pounds between those movies. Yeah, he's got some, some, uh, some baby, some baby fat. Baby fat. Yes, for sure. Who else? Michael Madsen has a nice sort of tender moment, soldier, wounded soldier, which which we'll talk about a little bit um, later on in the review, but he has a very nice scene with Sean Penn. That's right at the hospital. Yes, and there so. was there was one other guy. Uh, we were watching the credits as as we are paid to do here at uh, Cagecast, and we saw the name Dana Carvey. And I'll tell you, we scoured this film a few times over looking for stinking Dana Carvey and could not find him at all. Yeah, he plays, according to the credits, he plays a character called Babyface. But I tell you, we couldn't find him. So if you listeners out there uh, view the movie and can find a baby-faced character at all, please let us know. Send us, send us an email at feedback at cagecast.com. We, we might have missed him, but um, the credits say he was in there. So. Or just send us an email if you're bored. Uh, we definitely want to, uh, want to read that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the director was Richard Benjamin. He kind of gained some notoriety a few years before this movie with a movie called My Favorite Year, starring Peter O'Toole. He went on to direct... The Tom Hanks classic, The Money Pit. <laughs> um, it's, it's actually a pretty good movie. He directed the regrettable Made in America with Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> Have you seen that? Oh, no, I, I don't believe that that has made my yeah. has has hit my it was uh, on, <laughs> my list. It was on USA about every other day back in the '90s, and it was horrible. Just saying, <laughs> it's Whoopi Goldberg. So there's a reason we're not doing the Goldberg cast. Yes, go on. His, Stop me. His last major film was Mrs. Winterborn in 1996, and I believe that was starring Ricky Lake. So kind of gives you a clue as to what Richard Benjamin ended up doing. He's he's done some other things, but really nothing worth mentioning at this point. We neglected to mention the writers last week, and the writer of this film was Steve Kloves. Uh He wrote the screenplay for Wonder Boys, which is one of my favorite movies ever, if you haven't seen it, with Michael Douglas. He did almost all of the Harry Potter films, and actually even the new Spider-Man movie that's coming out soon that we just saw the trailer for, and it looks pretty good. Yeah, yeah. His star has risen, where the directors, I'd say, has... Perhaps stalled. Uh, yeah, it's been since 1996. It's probably probably stalled. Yeah. The last stat we're going to offer you today is the Cage genre. And so last week, we sort of got to see Nicolas Cage play the lovely dopey sort of Cage. This week, he is bad boy rebel Cage. Yes, and I like, I like both Cages. We'll see which one I like more at the end of the show. So that brings us to our review of Racing with the Moon. But first, we're going to play Louis Prima off the Racing with the Moon soundtrack. His song, Sing, Sing, Sing. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody start to sing. La-di-da, ho-ho-ho. Now you're singing with a swing. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody. 
everybody start to sing. La di da, oh oh oh. Now you're singing with a swing, and when the music goes around, everybody goes to town. But here's something you should know. Oh baby, oh oh oh. Sing, 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 sing. Everybody start to sing. La di da, oh oh. Now you're singing with a swing. Okay, we are back, Racing with the Moon. Britt, what is your history with this movie? Absolutely nothing. I had never heard of it prior to our cage cast, had never seen it, knew nothing about it. So I was coming in with untainted eyes. That's uh, it's about where I'm at, too. I uh, was two when this movie came out, so this was a new discovery for me. I had never even heard of it before. So let's get into a quick plot synopsis and start a review of Racing with the Moon. Henry Nash is a small-town boy who has been drafted into the Marines and is about to be shipped overseas. He's close friends with Nikki, who is also about to be deployed. Nikki and Henry have a long history of racing trains by diving away off the tracks right before the train arrives. They have six weeks before shipping out, and Nikki is determined to live life to the fullest before they're deployed. They work together at the bowling alley, setting up pins. One evening, Henry sees Caddy Winger, a cute brunette, at the movie theater across the street. He's immediately smitten. When Caddy comes to the soda shop where Henry and Nikki are hanging out, Henry jumps over the counter and pretends that he works there. After giving her an entire pie, Henry follows Caddy home and discovers that she lives in an elaborate mansion. He assumes that she is a Gatsby girl and is therefore extremely rich. In reality, Caddy lives there because her mother is a maid. Later, Henry sees Caddy working at the library. He attempts to get her name, but she rebuffs him. At the soda shop, Caddy sets up Henry with one of her friends. Henry meets them at the skating rink and pretends that he knows how to skate. He ends up crashing, but in doing so, is able to steal some time with Caddy. She agrees to go on a date with Henry, and the two quickly become an item. Meanwhile, Nikki finds out that his girlfriend Sally is pregnant. The boys attempt to get $150 for an abortion by hustling some sailors at a game of pool, but they soon discover that they are the ones being taken for a ride. Running out of time and options, Henry asks Caddy, whom he assumes can easily afford it, to provide the money for the abortion. Caddy, in an effort to avoid letting Henry down, attempts to steal a pearl necklace from Alice, a young woman who also lives at the house where her mother works. She is caught and confesses to what she is up to. Caddy ends up borrowing the money from Alice. Sally has the abortion, and Henry berates Nikki for not being there for his girlfriend. This causes a brief rift that is mended when each realizes they need each other in order to handle the difficult transition they're about to make. The film closes as the boys prepare to get on the train, taking them away to the war. They wait for the train to go by before racing after it and jumping on. All right, there's a quick synopsis of the movie. So let's sort of set the scene for you. It's 1942 in a very small town on the coast of California. It's Christmas time. It is Christmas time. And Henry Nash, played by Sean Penn, is our hero of the movie. Best friend Nikki, played by Nicolas Cage. Yes, our main man. Yes. And uh, the two are essentially sort of small town boys who've grown up together, best friends, seen each other through thick and thin, things like that. So we first see Sean Penn walking by the uh, railroad tracks. What would you think of seeing Sean Penn that young? Wow, I have to say, we've seen Nicolas Cage young already in Valley Girl. This film was made just the year after, so he's, according to my math, still not quite 20, and I can imagine... Yeah, he was 19. Sean Penn is probably around the same age. Gotta and, be. And the pair of them just really make for a, a mind blower. Yeah, when it's you... kind of a shock to see them looking like baby-faced little guys. Yeah, although I would say, you know, for the for the roles that we've seen them in, or that we've seen Nicolas Cage in, it's quite fitting that he plays these younger characters. 
it made a lot of sense in Valley Girl, and it makes sense in this role, too, because both Sean Penn and Nicolas Cage are playing these young 17-year-old guys who are essentially waiting to be of age so they can be drafted into World War II, which is, which is actively going on around them. And one of the things this film, I think, does well is it manages to convey the way in which that war sort of penetrated all of American life. You hear about it on the radio. You see it when you go to the movies, mm-hmm. in the newsreels. All the young guys that they see are talking about it. It's, it's very clearly on not only their minds, but on the minds of everyone in their town. Right, yeah. So, so Sean Penn's have... dad even is a funeral, or a, a grave digger, really, and he, we see a funeral of, of one of their friends coming back from, from the, the war. war. So, you know, one thing that you see kind of right from the start is when the film opens, as Nate said, Sean's, Sean's walking the tracks, walking the railroad tracks, and it sort of sets it up as this pseudo tough guy kid but as the film unravels and and rolls out you really see that Nikki and Henry are in the process of becoming men almost overnight and having to really struggle and come to terms with what that means and seeing the film painted with such a stark backdrop of war and, and the way the director and writers make sure to incorporate it into almost every facet of the movie really helps paint this picture that that these are boys these are boys being sent out to fight a man's war and very quickly having to learn that that they're going to be called to be men and watching their attempts to try to sort of deal with that, deal Mm -hmm. with the loss of their their childhood. Yeah, I agree. One of the first themes we see in this movie is, um, is family and how that can affect you. We see Sean Penn's mom doting over him. He does a lot for his mom. Every conversation I think he has with his dad throughout the entire movie, and there are several, revolves around him not Um, letting down his mother, which is really a theme in this movie. He sees it as oppressive, but it's revealed that in Nikki's past, he lost his mother, and his dad is a drinker. And there's a real difference between Nikki's character and Henry's character. And I think that part of that role of family, while it might seem oppressive for Henry, it really did shape him to be a kind of a loving, sensitive guy, as opposed to Nikki, who's looking for acceptance uh, in all the wrong places. Yeah. Henry and Nikki are clearly best friends, but like you said, there's the way that the element of family is depicted with Henry's family being present in a lot of scenes, being talked about frequently. You only hear in passing Nikki's father is right. drunk. I don't think we ever see his family. Because let's be honest, when we finally see Nikki make his first appearance, he's he's quite the wild man. Oh, I love it. At the bowling alley. Yeah. So the first time we see Nicolas Cage on screen, he is working his job at the bowling alley. And I don't know how you felt about this, but I thought this was awesome. Because it's not the, the fancy uh, machines that we have now that just kind of descend like a spaceship and the pin, there are the pins and there it is. I mean, this is work. This is hot and sweaty. And these guys are manually setting up these pins in some sort of press... Uh, apparatus and it looks like fun but it looks like something I could do for about 20 seconds before I collapse in a heap on the floor these guys are doing it Nick Cage is obviously drinking on the job I would expect nothing less of him. And really, after the first minute of meeting Nikki, the director really gives us a good idea of what kind of guy this is. Yes. Nikki, Nikki is, is a bad boy, for sure. He's a rebel. He's not the kind of friend you want your kids hanging out with. In that first scene at the bowling alley, you know, he's, he's drinking. He's kind of perpetually drinking almost at all points during this movie. He's got the bottle. He's talking about girls and going out and having fun. Yeah, and... I, you know, I made a list. In the first minute, we find out he is a womanizer, uh, a drunk, uh, a rebel against almost all authority. He's definitely a bad influence, but he's also the kind of guy you would want your back in uh, in a war for sure, but even in a fight. 
Yes, he's the tried and true, sort of true blue friend. And that's established between Nikki and Henry right away. Got a much harder edge to him, I would say. Much harder. He's very engaging, too. I will say this. I got a huge smile on my face as soon as I saw this guy on the screen. He owns that screen. Sean Penn kind of, I don't want to say underplays his role, but he's, you know, the quiet friend. And Nick Cage is out there. And he is gregarious and is somebody that you cannot take your eyes off of. It reminded me why we are doing this podcast just by seeing him in the first few minutes of this movie. Hey, Hop, how about doubling tomorrow night with me and Sally at the movies? What's the plan? Who cares? What do you need me for? You've been seeing her for months. Sally's dad won't let her out anymore unless she doubles. Why not? Her old man's got this idea. I've been messing around with her. (laughs) Her old man's smart. Yeah, and it really shows you that he is, at that time at least, he was a very good actor, very strong young performer, full of life. He kind of stole the scene at every scene that he was in. It's not that the other characters faded away, but but he certainly was the prominent man on screen. Absolutely. You know, typified by when he charges Crispin Glover. So essentially what ends up happening is here are these sort of blue-collar guys working the bowling alley, and there's a group of kids that come in, and we sort of have this established wrong side of the tracks rivalry going on between the, these blue-collar kids and the Gatsby kids, which are, essentially you can tell are, are the rich, upper-crust By their sweaters. kids in town. Yes, lots of argyle Yes, and, and uh, polished shoes. I think Henry is the one who punches out uh, the Gatsby kid for giving him, giving him a for hard time. For throwing balls at him. Yeah. Yes, he, he kept on throwing his balls at the guy. Yes, he was throwing his bowling balls <laughs> yes. down the lane before Henry was ready to yes, let's... get out of the way. So Henry just comes in and clocks this guy, gets in a big fight. Of course, the owner of the bowling alley, all he does is kind of like hold him apart. There's no, I'm calling the cops. There's nothing like that. This is back in the 40s, the good old days when I call it, when a man could punch another man. But uh, I love, I don't know if you caught this, Brit, but Nicolas Cage uh, attends to uh, to the Gatsby guy's uh, girlfriend and, and tries, to, tries to lovingly clean the blood off of her ample bosom. Yes, I saw that. And, and again, as Nate said, you have this established, Nikki is the womanizer. He is. He's the lady killer. I didn't see her protesting too much either. No, no. And I will say, folks, he's he's not bad to look at as well. He's kept his buff physique uh, here in the movie. Oh, he so. is. And he's glistening in sweat. Yeah, in this scene, he is. Not that I noticed that sure. kind of thing. But. <laughs> so we move on from this sort of initial opening scene where here are these friends. They're clearly from one side of the tracks. And one is clearly sort of the straight-laced good boy. The other is clearly not so much. And and we see them sort of essentially trying to set up a double date. Nikki has his girlfriend, Sally, whose parents won't let her date unless she's doubling. So Nikki's attempting to, to procure a date for his friend, Henry, who at this point isn't really that interested in girls. You can tell he's he's got bigger things on his mind, and that's not sort of a part of his purview. Well, he understands the, the, the gravity of the situation, while Nikki, all he wants to do is live life for the next six weeks before they ship out. You know, Nikki does find uh, Henry a date, though, a, a hooker. Is it a hooker? I thought she worked at the bowling alley. No, no, no. No, no. Oh, you didn't. You didn't get that subtext. No, uh, she was a hooker. Remember, she was getting beat up by the guy who didn't pay her. Oh yeah, that's right. Right. Yeah, Nikki does try to find his friend a hooker. That doesn't go over so well. No, he doesn't find it. Okay, so anyway, this hooker's getting beat up in the back of the bowling alley. They stop it, and kind of as a thank you, 
um, the hooker agrees to go out on this double date with these guys so uh, so Nikki can take Sally out, presumably to the lake, to, to do whatever, you know, Nicolas Cage does with girls in the bushes. Right. Right. So... But, and I feel bad calling her the hooker, but I just can't remember her name. I believe it's Annie. Okay. Well, I, I'd prefer to call her Annie because so, she's a real person. Yes. She's not defined by her... You know, calling. Calling. Yes. <laughs> I hope it's not a calling. It, Any, it, anyway. Essentially, what happens is is Nikki and Sally take off. They leave Henry with Annie, who, you know, sort of politely says... Hey, if you want a free ride before you ship out, this uh, this harbor's open. <laughs> yeah, in a matter of speaking. And they part ways. And it's at this point that Henry sort of gets his first... Glimpse. Glimpse of Caddy. Yes. Who, played by Elizabeth McGovern... And Caddy is working at a movie theater taking tickets and selling them. So Henry goes over, purchases a ticket from her, I think mostly just to get a better A better view. Well, sometimes, Britt, from far away, a girl can look like anything. But you really got to get up close to make sure that um, you're not going to have buyer's remorse. Oh, is that what he's doing? Well, I, I read that in the book. Oh, okay. 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 We'll have to post that book on our website, yeah. I think. Okay. Yes. And, and and I will say in a way, you know, again, we're sort of setting the stage. We're sort of doing some character development here. It's a little bit slow, folks. And it is. It's a coming-of-age tale. It's not really meant to be a anything more than just, I think, these two boys kind of coming to grips with their reality. Um, but it, it took some time for me to warm up to this one. This is the kind of movie that nice critics call deliberately paced. Okay, then I will also call it deliberately right. paced. It's a nice word for slow. But anyway... It is. Essentially what happens from here is we have a few rounds of Henry trying to get Caddy's attention. He runs into her at the library, sort of intentionally tries to get her name. She won't give it to him. He knocks over a rickety shelf of books, causes a little bit of a stir. Well, because she had called him harmless. You also see him paying a younger boy to put flowers again on the ticket counter at the movie theater. So he's he's trying some of the more conventional ways of, of getting her attention. And it's not working. Not working in the slightest. Again, he, he finally sort of at least has a conversation with her. And I really like this scene, so let me d- discuss it a little bit. So she's coming across the street. He sees her. And he, in a stroke of genius grabs the the proprietor's hat, jumps over the counter, and pretends he works there just for an excuse to talk to her. Uh, she buys a hook, line, and sinker. She has to buy a, a piece of pie, right? What kind of pie do you have? And he says, he looks at him and he says, well, it's brown pie. She says, oh, I'll take a piece. That sounds great. I think, you know, as a guy, I've, I've done stupid things to try to get a girl's attention. I think this is classic. I think this is actually a great scene uh, showing us uh, part of Henry's character. And um, I just think it's neat. After this, he ends up following her home. Another stalking scene. We've seen a lot of stalking in these 80s movies so far. Yes, we have, but I think this one's a little bit sweeter. He sees that she jumps on a bus to go home. He runs down the bus and jumps on the back of it and rides it until he sees her get off the bus, just so he can see where she lives. Yes, he was racing with the bus. He was racing with the bus, but I don't think that's as eloquent a title, so they might have changed it to Racing with the Moon. They never really did explain the title, Racing with the Moon. No. They talk about racing with a train. And we see him racing the bus. Maybe transportation isn't as eloquent as... Lunar lunar, uh, orbs in the sky. Maybe we're not as eloquent as we think we are. No, maybe not. Um, So we have sort of a a few repeated scenes of Henry's attempts to 
get the attentions of this girl, Caddy, to talk to her, to maybe ask her out. And there are a few moments here with Nikki as well. The soda shop scene, he's actually present for that one. And I think he's sort of given his his guy a hard time because he sees, well, maybe this this girl is, is something more to you. And I believe there's a, a follow-up scene between Nikki and Henry where Nikki's really giving it to Henry. You know, he's he's trying to uncover, well, what is it that's the, about this girl that's just gotcha so intrigued and and one of my one of my favorite scenes it's a kind of one of our first tastes of apart from Nikki being a wild man being a lady killer being a womanizer and a drunk we kind of see a, a little bit more substance to his wild personality she's a Gatsby girl if you ask me you're barking at the wrong pair of gams I'm just looking out for you right all right wise guy listen to this I heard the Nazis got this thing, right? It comes right out of the ground and goes right for it. Blows the whole package right off. One second you're John Wayne, and the next you're Minnie Mouse. Nikki, there are other things. Yeah? Yeah. Like what? Like other things. Okay. I just hate to see you spend the last few weeks of your manhood chasing something you can't catch. Go away. Oh, I get it. You want a picture for your wallet. You want some girl who's going to send you flowers and poems and sweethearts. Shut up, That's okay? It, isn't yeah. it? Well, what's wrong with that? Nothing. But I'll tell you something. I ain't going to be no sap to some skirt. Because when I finish killing Japs, I ain't coming back here. I want nothing to do with this place. This is a man, this is a character who knows his friend inside and out, knows what it is he's trying to do, and, and he's got his number. And the only reason I really like this is that it's not establishing Nikki as a stereotype. There is substance to this character. He's not just wild for the sake of being wild. He's wild in youth, and I think that you you see that he's sort of ribbing him. What are you doing? We're going to war. Why are you chasing this girl? She's out of your league. Oh, it's because you want something to show off when you're when you're in there with all the soldiers. So eventually, uh, Sean Penn's character Henry gets set up on a double date with Caddy, um, but not he's not with Caddy. He's with her friend that right. I cannot recall her name. Gretchen. And they decide that they're going to go um, roller skating on Christmas Eve. Henry gets dressed up in a suit and a bow tie to go <laughs> roller skating. So why? So yeah, he he does. He he really puts it <laughs> puts it all out on the line. Yes, I would say hijinks ensue. Hijinks ensue in this in his father's suit uh, with his bouquet of flowers and a pair of roller skates. Yes, he ends up being uh, the end of a of a cracked whip, if you know anything about uh, roller skating, and flies out the side of the I don't know if it was the VFW or whatever it was, but through getting thrown out this open door out into the night, he actually gets an opportunity to. Uh, Spend a little time with Caddy. Yeah. And I think it's there that she sort of sees, okay, this isn't just another guy off the street. They he's drink some, a Coke together. They drink a Coke. It's there that he's sort of able to weave his quiet Henry Nash magic in and convince her that, that they should go out on a date. One thing I will say about this movie, and we might as well just paint this in a broad stroke, uh, the art design was incredible in this movie. There was not a note wrong as far as the setting and the costumes and the the cars you felt like you were back in the 40s and how they recreated this was just it was one of the best uh, examples of going back into a certain place in time that I've seen uh, very very well done on the film's part so let's move on we see a, a few additional scenes with Henry and Caddy sort of getting to know each other he takes her to his favorite spot, which looks like an elaborate treehouse, but is apparently a burned down like bar, bar or 
or dance hall in the trees. You know, it that really that place really didn't didn't have a place in the movie. They could have cut that entire stuff out and really not had it be important, except that they played the piano together. Right. It's just it was just an opportunity for the bond to develop. I think between the two characters, overplaying heart and soul. Oh yes, heart and soul makes an appearance, folks. It is. It is all that you expected <laughs> to be. Might as well have been chopsticks. Might as well so have been chopsticks. Cheesy. Yeah, there was some cheese there for sure. My favorite sort of Henry and Caddy scene was at the lake. He takes her out to this lake, which is more of just like a glorified pond, really, and talks to her about how his dad used to create these treasure maps for he and Nikki to find, and one time it led out here to the lake, and really it was meant, the lake was sort of meant to be the treasure, the discovery of this place. So what treasure does he find, Britt? Well, he finds a couple of treasures underneath Caddy's blouse, and, (laughs) and, you know, I will say, to his credit, Henry doesn't appear to to have planned this. You know, he, he really, truly is a character that is earnest and and straightforward. Oh, I don't know. I beg to differ. You do? Oh, yeah. You're going out to the lake in the middle of nowhere and you're taking your clothes off and uh, what do you think he's he's up to? I don't know. I'd like to think that he's still sort of retaining some of this innocence that he's not really out to to play her. I I mean... We uh, may have to agree to disagree. I know what's going on here. Don't act like I haven't been out to a lake before. (laughs) And the other thing, I've got to point this out too. This is another non sequitur, but PG movies back in the early 80s could get away with everything. Uh, The only example I really remember of this was Airplane, which you saw boobs for a second or two. You probably don't remember, Britt, but I remember very clearly. Here, (laughs) you see boobs, you see a sex scene, there's a couple fucks dropped by Nicolas Cage in the movie. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. And this is PG. It was PG. And this scene is no exception. Here's where the love making comes in. Uh, he was making love. She was staring off into nothing. Yeah, she did look a little bit like a doll, I will say, in this scene. <laughs> Probably not her best work. I wouldn't know what that looked like. But... <laughs> they go out to the pond. There's some hanky-panky that takes place. It's all very... Oh, we're falling in love, and our naked bodies are laying on the grass. And it is also February, might I point out. Now, we're in Southern California, or someplace in California, uh, on the coast. So you're sort of, there's a little leeway there. But really, cold, naked bodies in the grass in February. You know, they look cold. They did look cold. I kept asking Nate how he was going to, you know. And I said, he's an 18-year-old man. It was cold outside. You know, he's a red-blooded American man. He, uh... If he can fight the enemy, he can f- fight the urge to. Let's just say. Yeah. 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 That's we all. That's we all. Cold water. All... Cold water never stopped anybody who really wanted something. We're just, we're all on the same page here, listeners. All right. I, I'm sure you're picking okay. up what we're laying down. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> uh, we we go back to our favorite guy. At this point, Britt, you were complaining about this movie. Do you remember why? There wasn't enough cage time. We were not saying you. You were even questioning: Should we be reviewing this movie? Yes, you know I, the movie is, if I recall, an hour forty-eight, and we don't see good Cage for a good thirty or forty minutes. Oh, you're exaggerating, but well, we don't see him for a while at least. You know, t- 
10 minutes without Nick Cage is like an eternity. It is. This, it is. In this world. So, um, so we see Cage again. And, and this is a great couple of scenes. Um, they're talking, you know, they're just, they're catching up. They're talking about the war. Cage is drunk and he's talking about this tattoo he wants to get of an eagle on his chest. And it is just, he is great. He is great. He is Cage and his cagiest. He's eccentric. He's talking a mile a minute and uh, talking about this tattoo he wants to get. Maybe we'll play a clip right here. Right here. Clear across my goddamn chest. A real patriot, mm, huh? Damn right. In just four short weeks, me and my buddy here are going to be proud members of the United States Marine Corps. Lucky us. Ah. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. This is the bird of freedom we're talking about here. Ain't no American that wouldn't be proud to carry that over his heart. I, uh... Um, got a dollar? 25. You've got to be kidding. He's kidding, right, huh? <laughs> I'm talking about the high-flying, red, white, and blue bird of freedom here! Yeah, he's borderline cage rage. You know, we wouldn't say you see a full rage moment, but there's shades, shades of crazy. And, and one last thing to say about this tattoo scene. Nicholas Cage lifts up his shirt, and I'll tell you one thing. This is the second time in a row where I've said, I do not swing this way. But the six-pack on this man, this 19-year-old Adonis of a Nicolas Cage, is... I, I, I could do my laundry on that six-pack. Oh, yeah. Washboard abs all the way. Britt's Very... eyes were glued to the television. I I was completing research for this podcast. That's yeah. all it was. Scientific research. <laughs> That's that, all I was doing. That must have been it. Anyway, um, this guy... Maybe I'll post a picture of this up on the site, too, because this guy... Uh, looks like he could be a prize fighter with this body. Later on in the evening of revelry, we'll sort of leave you as to whether or not the tattoo happens. We'll leave that cliffhanger out there as an incentive for you to watch this film. Uh, the two boys find themselves out on the railroad tracks, which you can start to see throughout the film as a hangout place. It, it certainly shows up as a motif throughout the film, this concept of these train tracks and what they come out here to do. But essentially, they find themselves in a position to train race, which we don't really know what that is right up until it happens, but it, it comprises Nikki and Henry getting to the point where they're, a train is coming at them. They watch the train pass, and then the very last possible moment while the train just passes them by, they take off down the tracks in an attempt to catch the train. And so it, the only reason I bring this scene up is that it really, again, you're continuously seeing this dynamic play out between boys and men these two characters who are boys at heart living out sort of the last six weeks of their boyhood freedoms doing the things that they want to do living this existence that they've all they've ever known and then immediately you see uh the tension playing between them with the realities of the adult world if it's war if it's uh additional issues which we're going to see here in a moment and i feel like this scene of racing the train and this has got to be where they came up with the title of this movie racing with the moon i'm not exactly sure where the parallels are but it really get the feeling that this is the last chance that these men will get to be the boyhood friends that they always have been felt like something changed here and something definitely changed here because as soon as they jump off that train and uh, start heading back to town Nikki drops the bomb on on Henry yes so the train rides over and what we get in the very next scene is a very sober drunk but yet very sober Nikki um, relaying to his friend that 
that his girlfriend's that pregnant. Sally's pregnant. Sally's pregnant. And so what you sort of see at that moment is the culmination of this evening of drunken revelry and tattoos and train racing is for Nicky in a lot of ways just a, an escape. He's attempting to escape these adult problems. This is how he's handling the real world, the world that he's living in that he's sort of – that's being forced on him or that in a lot of ways in this particular case he's created for himself. Mm-hmm. The problems that are coming with sort of living out of that youthfulness, not – not taking on the mantle of of manhood. And so the real big practical problem for Nikki at this point is that an abortion costs $150. That doesn't sound like – that didn't sound like a lot to me when I heard that, but I did a little calculation. And $150 back in the 19, early 1940s is an equivalent to about $2,500 in today's dollars. So it's this is not a little bit of money, especially for these kids who are out of here in a few weeks and – obviously are broke they work at the bowling alley they don't make anything but essentially he he's he's sort of pushing his nikki's pushing his problems on his friend henry um which you sort of start to get the sense that nah, i've seen this scene play out before in different ways nikki's needed money in the past he's sort of this goof off friend and i always have to clean up his mess and but you also can see that these are buddies and, and henry does want to be there for his friend and and they sort of start to talk about, well, how are we going to get this money? And it's a very uncomfortable scene for Henry, uh, but it's also a very good, again, reflection of, of the world they're about to enter. So we go from one of the most somber moments of the movie to one of the most ridiculous. This war training session on the school oh, yeah. grounds. Talk about a non sequitur. Immediately after, we see them at school on a field outside the school participating in sort of a like a drill a drill a, an emergency nurses drill like if kind. your high school gets attacked by the japanese well or, or are they training the women to be nurses are they know, are they doing some sort of pseudo nurses training for the women it's good to see that that uh nikki here wasn't uh, his libido wasn't wasn't shot all over he was he was trying to hit on about every nurse that tried to uh, assist him yes and so henry and nikki are sort of living it up as these quote-unquote wounded soldiers on the field waiting for a nurse to come and get them waiting for a gurney to take them to the hospital but i think really the only function that this scene serves is to get henry in a silly mood and get some bandages and some blood on him and he goes to visit Caddy at the hospital, the actual hospital where she's volunteering. Right. So, so a, a fake, bloodied Henry who's sort of high on life and, and is goofing this idea of of getting shot up in the war, goes to the library, sees Caddy there, and and so she takes him to the the hospital where she's volunteering and into a room full of recently wounded, back from war soldiers. Right. And this is where we see the reality of the situation really hit home for Henry. Uh, He says he thinks about it all the time, but really um, you can see on his face that, oh man, this is is real and this is happening really soon. This is where we see the great cameo from Michael Madsen as a soldier who just come back from the war. You got any Hammett? Hammett? Yeah, Dashiell Hammett. No, I'll take the card. That's okay. Forget it. It'll just take a second. Oh, it's all right. Relax. Forget it. What's your name? Henry, sir. How old are you? 17, sir. How old do you think I am? I'm 22. You call everybody who's 22, sir? No, sir. I mean, no. My name's Frank. 
Guess they'll be uh, calling you up pretty soon, huh, Henry? February 12th. Yeah. Go ahead, look at it. I do, all day long. Sometimes, you know, I can still feel it. That's a God's truth. Only uh, half believe it's gone. <laughs> you get it? Half? Again, you, you have, with the train scene and sort of the gravitas that is brought there with the revelation that the girlfriend's pregnant, followed by this sort of goofy high school drill scene, and then again, bringing back sort of the reality of war, the reality of life with this scene with Michael Madsen in the hospital. You see that the director is is guiding these characters and, and really moving them further and further down the line away from the naivete and the sort of youthful boyhood and more and more into sort of a real life, a very somber, real adult picture of, of what it is that they're that they're handling. And and you see that progressively now from moving forward in the movie. There are less scenes of frivolity and more uh, scenes as the story winds down of, of a real sort of sense of urgency to get things taken care of, to really step up to the plate to make some big decisions. Right. And we even see that dichotomy in the, in the very next scene. It starts off very, very fun. It's uh, it's Nicolas Cage doing what looks like his best Elvis impersonation while mopping the floors of the, of the bowling alley. It's a pretty fun scene and a pretty cool performance by Cage singing this song, using the broom handle as a microphone, but then quickly turns into a somber note talking more about where are we going to get this money to get this abortion. It's really very jarring. There's a lot of this um, happy, sad, happy, sad thing going on in this movie, but I guess that's how life works. Right. Like I said, again, you see more and more scenes moving towards sort of that heavy material, that real material, and, and less less of the playful scenes as the film progresses. Henry decides he's going to help Nikki find the $150 for the abortion. He's going to help his friend out. And the way that they choose to acquire that money or try to acquire it is to hustle some sailors at a pool game. Now, I don't know how you feel about this scene, but I, I, I think I might. This scene, an hour and 15 minutes into the movie, is by far the best scene of the movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. If the tattoo parlor moment is good, it is just a warm up for what happens to Henry and Nikki when they they pick out this bar and they they attempt to hustle $150 out of these two pool playing sailors. It's just it's well directed, it's well edited, the music is great, the sense of tension is there, the acting is superb. All the elements are coming together in this what is it 10 minutes that just absolutely has you glued to the edge of your seat the entire time. And what's so great about it is this film is slow. And what's... Deliberately paced. <laughs> Thank this you. This film is deliberately it is, paced. It is deliberately paced, but this scene stands out as just a great moment of suspense. And you were on the edge of your seat, and I legitimately did not know what was going to happen. Uh, we think that our guys are going to hustle these kind of doofus-looking sailors that we're led to believe, and then the tables get turned, and this sailor is actually probably the one doing the hustling, and there's a back and forth, and there is a tension building, and it is fantastic. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, the tattoo scene's great. This one is probably my favorite, and, and like Nate said, it takes quite a while to get to a point in the film where you really are sort of amped and, and you're excited. So needless to say, things do not go as planned for Henry no, and Nikki. No, they do not. No. Uh, <laughs> they, they sort of escape getting hustled by the skin of their teeth, sort of barely make it out of the bar um, before they can get beaten up and, and taken taken by these four sailors. 
So not only did they not win the $150, but they lost any money that they had had. And at this point, you know, tension's really mounting for Nikki. They're, they're sort of high off of it, nearly escaping with their lives, it would seem, from this bar. And they have to go straight to Henry's home where they're celebrating his 18th his birthday. birthday yeah. And Caddy's there on the porch waiting. So it's it's things are sort of coming to a head where Nikki's been sort of pushing at Henry this entire time because the assumption is that Caddy's rich. He, he Earlier in the film, Henry follows her home and sees this big, beautiful mansion she lives in. And as the plot unravels we sort of can see as viewers that in fact Ketty isn't rich she's she lives there because her mother's a maid there so she actually doesn't have family money but she's not doing anything to dispel that myth either she's right. she's letting sort of Henry go on believing that that she's in fact rich there's a scene that we haven't talked about that I'll just briefly mention where they're having a moment in a shoe shop together it's very touching but out of that comes this revelation where you see Henry really does believe that she's rich and Caddy of course knows that that's not the case so by the time you get to the scene after the pool hall on on Henry's parents porch tensions are high emotions are high and you have seen prior to this sort of this buildup of Caddy's family has money that's the next possible place to go but but eventually that's where they go eventually he sort of caves to his best friend's situation and and has to you know painfully ask caddy for 150 dollars you can just tell he hates asking for the money but he really has no choice at this point and you see a look on her face where she's willing to do anything for this guy she really does love him Uh, i kind of wish at some point she would have come clean and been honest but i guess when you're in love and you think you're going to lose somebody uh, you'll do about anything to hang on to that right so what follows that is a scene where where caddy's sort of a agreeing to to get Henry the money. She doesn't know where she's getting it from, but she essentially makes an attempt to steal a pearl necklace from this from this mansion home where she lives. And she's she's caught sort of it, it's not a, a particularly emotionally charged scene. The the woman that she's stealing it from comes in and questions her and and it comes out that, you know, she's been lying about whether or not she's wealthy. And eventually what happens is the wealthy friend agrees to loan Caddy the money. She doesn't know what it's for, but she agrees to give it to her. So Caddy then in turn gives it to Henry and on down the chain. And Sally is able to go and get her abortion. At a trailer park. At a trailer park. And it looks looks horrible. I just, my heart was breaking during the scene, just seeing what women had to endure at this time in history. Um, You know, you could have your opinions on this subject one way or the other, um, but your heart really does go out for this this girl. She's scared and she is lonely and Nikki does nothing to help her out. Right. This is sort of Nikki's last opportunity to really do the right ste- thing. step up to the plate and yeah. do the right thing. And it is. It, it's sort of one of those apex moments of, this, of the film where here we see sort of a culmination of, of all these experiences and we're getting towards the end of their time before they have to leave and, and Nikki has an opportunity and he absolutely blows it. He just sort of sits there. In the car, I can tell he is ashamed. Um, he doesn't want to go in there. He doesn't want to look at her. He doesn't want to be involved. And it's really a portrait of just a man who's broken down by um, a realization of who he is and what he's done. That was my take on it. And it was really, really hit me pretty hard. So what ends up happening after that is that there's a, a pretty heated conversation between Nikki and Henry afterwards. Um where Henry really does call Nikki out on the carpet and, and says, I'm always cleaning up your messes. I can't do this anymore. And you didn't even walk her home. 
you weren't there. You should have been there. You didn't even open the door. You didn't even open the car door, right? right? So, you know, what happens from that is is a big rift between the two friends. And, and then ultimately as well, a rift between Henry and Caddy. Caddy sort of is horrified by the whole experience of having to be present there and I think kind of wants to distance herself from, from Henry. Right. Um, because now she's obviously associating him with, mm-hmm. with this thing. And it's funny, you know, the end of this movie comes pretty quickly. There's this rift that they show for a, about a minute or two of just them leading their separate lives. Henry goes to the cemetery, um, talks to his dad, and his dad sheds a little light about uh, Nikki and his mother's death, and, and that kind of softens things up a bit. And eventually Henry finds Nikki at the bowling alley, and they pretty much make up. Yeah, and, and my only real criticism here is, you know, Nicolas Cage does an incredible job with this role, so his acting skills cannot be denied. But as far as the character development goes... We have an entire film dedicated to really showing the major tensions, the major dichotomies of of the lives that these boys are living, the life that they've known and the life that they're about to know and how they're sort of stuck in the middle, not really knowing if they're boys or men. And it's it's a beautiful portrait, but you don't see sort of a final character development of Nikki and you want I wanted that the only real thing that you see that might give a glimpse as to whether or not he is the same person or if he has been changed by this whole experience is that the scene in the bowling alley when Henry and Nikki are sort of mending their ways together is that Nikki throws the booze bottle that he's sort of always seen with in the garbage and that's all that we really see there's not a lot of of obvious I've changed I've I've sobered up. I, I'm ready to take on adult responsibilities. Right. The only thing he even says is that he went and checked on Sally, and she said she's doing okay. Uh, you can tell he, he's really still in over his head by this, and I don't think he's changed much. Maybe a little humbled, but you know, I guess that's something. So at the end of this movie, to wrap it up real quick, uh, Henry makes Caddy a, a, tr- a treasure map that looks like it was drawn by an eight-year-old with crayons, and... Uh, she obviously has forgotten the horrible fight they had just had days previous and goes excited on this treasure hunt um, following this map, which is which is as rudimentary as something you'd see on the back of a of a Captain Crunch box. <laughs> but she is following it like it's uh, like it's written by like it's drawn by Lewis and Clark. <laughs> and she goes out and goes to the pond and goes to the tree and finds uh, these shoes that they were looking at earlier in this movie. I think it's supposed to to be pretty touching, but uh, but it uh, it didn't. It left me wanting a little bit more. Yes, I would agree. Maybe another love scene. I don't know. Just give me something here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, you definitely, you know, the 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 movie did a good job painting this very nice picture of young love, and they are sort of ending it on a little bit of a cheesy, little bit, little bit of a cheesy note. But they essentially there is reconciliation between Caddy and Henry, and Caddy's there at the train station to see him off as he and Nikki are boarding the train to go to war. And of course, what happens? Well, of course, our film ends just as you would think it should with these two boys racing the train just like they did earlier in the film uh, about to jump on and, and make their way off into uh, into the wide blue yonder. Into the wide blue yonder. I think that's where, we're, where we'll leave it. Wild, yes. wild blue yonder. Wild blue yonder. Yes. yes. So, yeah, that's our analysis of Racing with the Moon. Yeah, I think we broke it down pretty well. 
Coming up, we'll give our ratings, we will total the points, and we will place this film in our ranking of Nicolas Cage movies. But first, we're going to play Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy from the Racing with the Moon soundtrack by the Andrew Sisters. It really brought him down because he couldn't jam. The captain seemed to understand. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band. And now the company jumps when he plays Reveille. He's the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B. A toot, a toot, a toot, a toot, he blows it eight to the bar. In boogie rhythm, he can't blow a note unless the bass and guitar is playing with him. He makes a company jump when he plays Reveille. He's the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B. He was a Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy of Company B. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, well, you're about at the end of our podcast. Yeah, you kind of missed out if you're just joining us. So go back and listen to the beginning, please. Yeah, please You'll do. hear our review of Racing with the Moon. It was great. Uh, we Now we're we're about to do our rating. So let's start with the entertainment rating. And, and remember, folks, we're rating everything on a scale of 0 to 4. Now, I would like to say really quick, most people give ratings from 1 star to 4 stars. I think that really downplays how bad some movies can be. So we are starting at zero. Well, with that in mind, Nate, how did you rate Racing with the Moon from an entertainment perspective? You know, Britt, I said this a lot. This movie was slow. From a pure entertainment standpoint, I'm going to give it a 1.5. There were some scenes that were pretty exciting, but they were so few and far between that uh, I I can't justify even giving it a middle-of-the-road score. So 1.5 for me. Well, Nate, I see your 1.5, and I match it. I agree with you 100%. There were a couple of really fun scenes, but you know, given the length of the movie, I'm going to say not enough to hold my attention, not enough to watch it a second time, just, just flat out not that entertaining. Yeah, it could have been a lot better. Okay, moving on, how about this film's artistic merit? Well, I'm a little bit surprised at myself, but I'm going to have to rate this as a three. I can't believe this. this I is, know. You know, well, you'd think we're collaborating, but we're not. I give it a three as well. You do. Why, you do know, why do you go there? Well, okay. The movie's slow, for sure. And there aren't that many scenes that really captured my attention or my heart. But when you look at the whole piece together, the story that it tells, the way that it tells it, um, the, uh, the actors all around, the sets... Uh, it, the really, when you're looking at the craft of telling a story, they nailed it here. They really did a nice job of evoking a sense of time and place, really sort of giving you giving you a picture of what many young men in our country were probably going through about this time in their lives that were having to enter the draft. I was there. I, I was in that world, and I can't take that away from them. They did a nice job. I agree. As far as direction, art direction, editing, cinematography, acting... Uh, you couldn't have done much better. It was just really good on that level. Um, I wish it had been a little bit more entertaining. I'm going to always kind of wonder what might have been with this film. Right. I would agree. All right. Our biggest question, how do you rate Nicolas Cage's performance in Racing with the Moon? Well, you know what, Britt? I'm going three out of four. I thought he was great. Now, he wasn't the main character, but the scenes he was in, he stole. He ran circles around Sean Penn 
as far as being captivating, as far as being exciting. You know, I, he just came on the screen and I just smiled from ear to ear because you just wanted to see what this guy did next and it was great. You know, in our review of Valley Girl last week, I said we saw glimpses of this and this in this film, every scene was a tour de force from Nicolas Cage and I I can't recommend his performance in this movie enough and uh, I guess I would recommend this movie just for the artistic merit and for his performance. I say uh, a three. I can contribute nothing to that. I agree with you. I rate it a three. Wow. Okay, so boring but inspired. Yes, boring but inspired. Okay, let me total this up real quick. Okay, I have done the math and I'm actually a little shocked. This movie gets a 15 out of 24, which just edges out Valley Girl from last week. Unbelievable. It would seem that art merits more than entertainment in our book so far. Because I would say you much more enjoyed Valley Girl than this movie. Yes. I would watch Valley Girl again and again. Racing with the Moon, I'm happy to to leave at one viewing. Okay. Myself personally. You know what? There we go. All right. Last but not least, I'd like to fire off our running totals. Okay. And we have a new category, don't we? Yes, we do. So we'll open running totals with this. Take it away for us, Nate Porter. Is Nicolas Cage a lady killer? He is a man of passion. Yes. In this movie, is he drunk or high? He gets very drunk all the time. Does he have crazy hair? I think he has culturally appropriate hair. Crazy voice? No. How about... does he? Does he... Does he go into a crazy voice? No. Even with the tattoo? No, he doesn't. Go ahead. Crazy voice? No. Surprisingly. Cage rage? I'm going to have to defer to you. Did did we see cage rage? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no, too. We saw some manic cage. I wish we had seen that rage, but he was... No, we saw excitable cage. And we saw angry cage, but never raging cage. Never raging cajun. Did he punch or get punched? Oh, yes. A lot of violence in this one. And finally, does he run with a flashlight? Sadly, no. I'm excited to finally get a yes in that category. Yeah, there will be there will be a yes in this category. I'm feeling there's going to be a few yeses in the running with a flashlight. Well, stay Nick tuned, listeners. Okay. Stay tuned. Thank you so much. Uh, that about wraps it up for us here at CageCast. If you have comments, questions, thoughts about our review of Racing with the Moon, or if you want to contribute your own comments, questions, or thoughts, please send us feedback, uh, feedback at cagecast.com. You can also send us an MP3 of your review and we'll try to get you on the air or send us a voicemail by dialing 86CAGECAST. Yes, leave us a voicemail at that number and we will try to use it on an upcoming episode. Next week, we'll be reviewing 1984's Birdie, starring Matthew Modine and, of course, Nicolas Cage. Have you seen Birdie? What do you remember about the film? And what do you remember about Cage in the movie? If you have any interesting thoughts, please email us as well. I'd also like to say that music from this episode comes from the Racing with the Moon soundtrack. And our theme song, as always, is by Johnny Cash. Thanks for joining us. I'm Britt Porter. And I'm Nate Porter. And until next week, we'll leave you with our third and final song from Racing with the Moon, Moonlight Becomes You by Bing Crosby. Thanks for listening. Thank you, everybody. Tell me I'm wrong. What a night to go dreaming. Mind if I tag along. If I say I love you, I want you to know. 
It's not just because there's moonlight Although moonlight becomes you so It's not the. It's not that one. It's not the. It's not the. It's that song. I always thought wasn't that like Chips Away commercial or something. It's actually singing. Okay. All right.